0: Good morning. Good to see all of you. Thanks for being here. A couple of quick announcements. Uh, Number one, we are actively uh, working to get to one service. And so if you, before you leave today, if you go check out the gym, we've had a group of guys uh, that I'm very thankful for. They've been working hard to build a gym or a stage for us in the gym, and we're gonna start having worship in there. Our goal is April 10th, um, but our deadline is April 17th, which is Easter Sunday. So Uh, Check that out. Uh, We'll give you more information as we get a little bit closer, but that's our goal. Uh, We're studying today Mark chapter 12. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, Mark chapter 12. I want to talk to you today about the truth about separation between church and state. The truth about separation between church and state. So, that means today, uh, trigger warning, uh, I am going to be talking about politics. Okay. And I know know, there you go, Nicole's excited about it. My wife isn't, because I always get into trouble, and she's got to defend me on Facebook whenever I talk about politics. And I think part of the reason is, uh, especially Christians, we've been programmed to believe that there's supposed to be a separation between church and state. We've been programmed to believe that uh, preachers shouldn't talk about politics. Uh, But as I've been reading the Gospel of Mark, one of the things that has really struck me is that Jesus Christ is the King of Kings. Amen? And so, if he's the king of kings and he has power over disease and death and darkness, here's my question for those, especially those Christians who start to squirm when we start applying biblical truths to what's happening in policy making, and you start to squirm about, like, oh, we're supposed to have separation between church and state. My question for you is, at what point does Jesus' authority stop? Like, where's the line where Jesus, I want you to have authority over my life and my family and my health and my finances and my job, but Please don't get involved in policymaking. See, that doesn't make sense to me. You know, if Jesus is really the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so today, I think we'll learn from our passage a handful of things. Number one, I think we'll learn it is impossible to separate religion from politics. It's actually impossible. Number two, it's destructive to attempt to separate religion from politics. And number three, it's the duty of the church to be the conscience of the state. I think we'll see that as we unpack this. Mark chapter 12. Let's all stand together in honor of the reading of God's word. Mark 12, beginning in verse 13. They then, then they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to Jesus to trap him in his words. When they came, they said to him, Teacher, we know you are truthful and don't care what anyone thinks, nor do you show partiality, but you teach the way of God truthfully. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why are you testing me? Bring a denarius to me. Uh, They brought a coin, whose image and description is this. He asked them, Caesar's, they replied. Jesus told them, Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. They were utterly amazed at him. Let's pray. Father, we declare that you are God, and there is none like you. The nations plot in vain, and it makes you laugh. Kings and kingdoms rise and fall according to to your decree. Remind us today that you are over all. You will accomplish your purposes upon the earth, to which we say amen and hallelujah. Have your way in me. Have your way in us. Have your way in Winchester. Have your way in America. Have your way in Ukraine. Have your way in this world. As you stand there with your eyes closed and your head bowed, take a moment and pray silently for the people around you. Pray today that healing and restoration and redemption will take place in this room just at the hearing of God's word, lifting up of his voice. Pray pray that over the people in this room and over the people that are watching online. Take a second and pray that you'll be receptive to the word that God wants to speak to you. Let's also pray for a moment about what's happening in Ukraine. Let's pray for peace on our earth. Father, speak to us. We're ready to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Mark chapter 12, verse 13. Then they sent some Pharisees and Herodians. Uh, the word they there is referring to the people we met in Mark chapter 11. They are the religious rulers, uh, make up the Sanhedrin the chief, scri- chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. about 70 people, and it's kind of a political party there in the Jewish culture. Uh, we read about it in Mark chapter 12, verse 12, the verse right before this, we learn that these men, uh, they want to kill Jesus. They want to arrest him and have him killed because their political power is threatened by Jesus' authority and influence in this region. And so what's interesting about what's going on here, we, we see that they, the religious ruling class, the political party, uh, the political elite there in Jerusalem and Judea, uh, they send a delegation uh, made of Pharisees and Herodians. And Now, if you know your Jewish ancient Jewish history, then, of course, you know that the Pharisees and the Herodians hated each other. They did not like each other at all. They had two totally different worldviews. Uh, the Pharisees were religious nationalists, and uh, the Roman Empire ruled this region and um, they were oppressive and tyrants, and uh, they did a lot of, of, of bad things, and the Pharisees hated Roman rule. What they wanted was the Jewish people to win their independence from Rome and rule the Jewish people according to the, the law of God. So that was their plan. The Herodians, on the other hand, it's a group of Jewish, Jewish people that had pledged allegiance to a family known as the Herod's. And the Herods were, it was a dynasty, and they were kings and queens, but they didn't have any political power. They were just uh, figureheads, kind of like the king and queen of England. You know, they don't really have any power. It's a similar kind of a deal. And the Herodians, you'll remember uh, Herod uh, in the Jesus story of his birth, uh, Herod sends his uh, army into Bethlehem to kill all of the The babies there in Bethlehem. And then a little bit later on, a different Herod, King Herod, has John the Baptist's heads cut off, right? So this isn't a good group of people, but there's this this tribe of this sect of Jewish people that have partnered. They pledge their allegiance to the family of Herod because their mind, they think that this family of Herod is kind of like a savior sent from God. And they think if we can play nice enough with the Romans, the Romans will give Herod real power in the region, and he'll rule the Jewish people righteously. So that's kind of their plan, their way forward. And so the Pharisees hated the Herodians. They said, you guys are uh, sellouts, you know, partner with Rome. It's terrible. And then the Herodians hated the Pharisees because they thought the Pharisees were like religious nutcases and fundamentalists and totally unrealistic. But what we see here are these two people, these two groups that never, ever got along, and they partnered together to take down Jesus. It says they've come together to trap Jesus in his words. The word trap here is a Greek word that's only used here in the whole Bible, not used anywhere else, and it's a word that suggests violently capturing. That was their ambition. They wanted, so think of a pit dug in the rainforest that's got spikes sticking out. You envision this, that a tiger comes and falls in the pit, and it's not just trapped, it's impaled and it dies. So they don't want to just shut Jesus up. They want to destroy Jesus. Now, this right here is an example of why you shouldn't want, you, that, why you should want a separation between church and state. Here's a prime example. Without religion, politics has the sword, but it doesn't have a soul. Independent of absolute moral truth, political agents will partner with the devil if it advances their agenda governments will set a trap for the very best people. If they can't beat them in a debate, if they can't dig up dirt on them, they will set a trap for the very best among us. Jesus, the water walker, the healer, the feeder of the 5,000s, they don't celebrate him. They want to destroy him. Why? Because they threaten their, Jesus threatens their political agenda. Think of all the unholy unions in our world right now. Fake news media, partnered with big tech tyrants, partnered with godless politicians. They all do, they work together to shut down, fact check, censor any dissenting voices. In Canada right now, uh, just recently there was a massive protest. Uh, The truckers assembled in the capital city of Canada and they were protesting uh, government mandates, restrictions from COVID. And they were doing the epitome of peaceful protesting. The epitome. Uh, there were no, there was no looting. There were no buildings burned to the ground. There were no police officers injured. These these protesters actually, uh, they would if they made a mess in the streets, they would clean it up. If one of their party got out of hand, they would put them back in line. And so this is the epitome of peaceful protesting. But what happened? The government partnered with the banks to freeze the protesters' checking accounts. Uh, the government partnered with the media to paint the protesters like they're neo Nazis. The government partnered with the police to arrest these protesters for a brand-new crime that they just instituted called mischief. They shut it down. This is what happens when godless governments go unchecked. They drift into tyranny and oppression. They will do evil and call it good. Why? Because it advances their personal political agenda. And so what we see here, unholy union, Pharisees, Herodians, partner together, they want to trap Jesus in his own words. Verse 14. When they came, they said to him, teacher, we know you are truthful and don't care what anyone thinks, nor do you show partiality, but you teach the way of God truthfully. Now, once you put brackets around this, we're going to come back to it at the end, but I want to point out something. Everything that they're saying about Jesus is 100% true, right? Jesus only speaks the truth. He cannot He's like Abraham Lincoln, but more so, he cannot tell a lie. It is totally contrary to his character to lie in any form or fashion. And he doesn't play favorites. No partiality shown. Jesus speaks the truth of God no matter what anyone says or thinks. And so these two... Political parties, the Herodians, Pharisees, they come together and they come to Jesus and it looks as if they're trying to honor Jesus, but their compliments are actually not compliments. Their compliments are a trap to try and capture Jesus. They are flattering him in hopes of manipulating him, which is another reason you should want the church to check the state. Without true religion... Politics will tell tra- will tell the truth and still be lying. Is that true or false? I'll give you some examples. During the pandemic, in Elizabethtown, Kentucky, which is the place that I was here, I was before I came here. So I was I was served there for ten years. I have a lot of friends there in Elizabethtown. During the pandemic, I got a somebody sent me a link to a public service announcement. Uh, that was issued by baptist health there in elizabethtown the hospital harvard memorial hospital the public service announcement was sent to the newspaper all the social medias it was all over elizabethtown and it was a urgent plea for the population at large to a adhere to all the covid restrictions this was at the height of the pandemic and b to get vaccinated and so it was urge and understandably so that's in their right maybe even wise to do that but In writing this letter, there was one key phrase that was the key motivating phrase of the whole letter. And you heard this before all throughout the pandemic. You heard this. They said, Hardin Memorial's morgue is at capacity. It's at capacity, which was true. It was true. And we saw that over and over. Now, the implication of that statement is COVID is killing so many people that we don't have enough room for all the dead bodies. That's the implication. And and the goal of saying a statement like that is is to say to the population, you better get vaccinated and you better listen to what Big Brother says or you're going to be next. And we're going to have to leave your dead body out in the hallway because we don't have room for it. Okay. Uh, The only problem with that statement, the information that this once-trusted source, public health, who used to not be political, the information they left out is the morgue's capacity was four. The other information they didn't tell you is three out of the four people in the morgue at the time that the letter was sent out, three of the four people were drug overdoses. The fourth person was a 90-year-old person who died of pneumonia. How do I know this? Because I know people personally that work in that department at Hard Memorial Health, and they told me. Government is by nature power-hungry. That's what comes naturally to them. And so they will do anything that they think they can get away with in order to get more power, in order to increase their influence, including including lying while telling the truth. They asked the question, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? Now, they're referring here to a, what's called the poll tax. The poll tax was a mandated, uh, government-mandated flat tax. This was for every Roman citizen. And it was for the amount of basically one day's wages for a like hired hand, somebody that works with their hand, a a denarius. It was one denarius was the tax. Now, the Herodians would say, in answering that question, should we pay taxes? They would say, yeah, of course, we should pay taxes to Rome because we need to get in their good graces so they'll look favorably upon us, and they'll put Herod as the true king, and he'll rule over the Jewish people, and that's going to be better for everybody. We need to play nice. The Pharisees, on the other hand, would say, no, definitely not pay taxes. Rome is evil they're devil worshippers, they're oppressive, they're tyrants, they've done nothing but terrible things to us, it's actually sinful to pay taxes to the Roman people because they're going to use that money for bad stuff. So this is a trap question. It's a 100% trap question because if Jesus says, pay the tax, then guess what? The Pharisees are going to go to all the Jewish people in the region who hate the Romans, and they're going to say of Jesus, they're going to say, you don't need to follow this Jesus guy. He's a Roman bootlicker. That's all he is. He's a sellout. You don't want to follow him. They're trying to turn the people on on Jesus. Now, if Jesus says, don't pay the tax, guess what? The Herodians are going to go to their Roman buddies, and they're going to say, hey, you need to keep an eye out on this Jesus guy because he's a revolutionary. He's an insurrectionist. He's saying we shouldn't pay taxes to Rome. You need to arrest him and have him killed. It's a trap question. Verse 15, Jesus, knowing their hypocrisy. He said to them, why are you testing me? Knowing their hypocrisy. That word hypocrisy could also be translated play acting or mask wearing. Knowing that they are full of it. Jesus asked why. Now Jesus here displays the proper relationship that all Christians are called to have with government. From cover to cover, the Bible encourages us to be skeptical of the government. From cover to cover. Assume that they are full of it. Assume that they're hiding something. We should always question their motives. Don't just ask what they're doing. Ask why they're doing it. Jesus says, why are you testing me? Bring a denarius to look at. So denarius, cost of the poll tax, this was their currency. Roman currency, the equivalent of like a you know a $5 bill, $10 bill, $20 bill, $50 bill. Verse 16, they brought a coin. Jesus asked, whose image and inscription is this? So here's a picture. There it is. Here's a picture. On the front of this picture right here on the left is Tiberius Caesar. And I guess that's his nose. He's part man, part bird. (laughs) I believe I would have asked them to take a better picture of me if I'm going to pass this around the Roman Empire. So uh, this is the emperor at Jesus' day, Tiberius Caesar. And uh, the inscription on the front of this coin is, um, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of divine Augustus. Because by this point in Roman history, they had had assumed that their emperors were gods. And they had hundreds of gods, so what was one more god to worship? And so he, he writes on his coin that his dad is God, and so he's the son of God in his mind. On the back of the coin, this is a picture of Tiberius Caesar's mother, adopted mother-in-law. And the inscription on that is uh, Pontifex Maximus, which you should do some research on that little uh, phrase there. Very interesting. But I'll tell you what it means. It means high priest. High priest. It could also be translated chief in religious matters. Okay, so by Jesus' day, the Roman ruling class, the political ruling class, considered themselves more than just the governing body in Rome. They considered themselves to be chief in religious matters. And even more than that, they considered themselves to be gods worthy of worship. Now, this is an important point that ancient people knew full well, but us modern people seem to neglect this truth It is impossible to separate religion from politics. Every policy decision is a moral claim. At its heart, every policy decision is a moral claim. The point of policy is to promote good and to punish evil. How do you determine what is good? How do you determine what is evil? Those are value statements. Where do your values come from? They come from your worldview. What's a worldview? It's a religion. We can't separate the church from the state because politics is based on religion. If you go to Frankfurt and you listen to the things that right now, uh, there is brewing a debate of whether we should legalize gambling in Kentucky, if we should have casinos in Kentucky. You should listen to the debate that's had around this topic. And the debate, on one side, they're saying casinos, sports gambling would be good, and these are all the reasons it's good. On the other hand, you've got people saying sports gambling is bad, and here are all the reasons it's bad. But if you listen at the core of each person's argument, they are moral statements. It's a value call. And when people appeal to the separation of church and state, what they're really saying is, let's get God out of the way so we can have the divine privilege, so that we can be our own God, so we can worship ourselves, and we can do what's right in our own eyes. Think of the last time you heard somebody say, oh, whoa, 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 separation of church and state. Why were they making that statement? Were they making that statement so that they could do something in accordance with biblical values, or were they they making that statement so they could do something against biblical values? Isn't it always drifting away from God? When somebody makes that statement, it's not drifting towards Christian values. It's drifting away from it, isn't it? Why? Because they want to say, no, separation of church and state. Let's get God out of this equation. We want to be our own God. Recently in Canada, they passed a bill that made it a federal crime to perform any form of what they call conversion therapy. Now, why did they make, why did they pass such a bill? Their legislative body came together in in their parliament, and they decided, as the governing representative officials, they decided that the LGBTQ plus lifestyle is a noble lifestyle. They decided that drag, drag queen story hour is good for our kids, They decided that a biological man uh, destroying women's sports, that's inspiring. They decided that chemically castrating emotionally immature teens without parental consent is wise. They decided that sexually deviant men in women-only spaces is safe. And they decided that pastors preaching the gospel, calling sinners to repentance, calling people to new life in Christ, that somehow that's evil. How did they get to the point where they believed such upside-down understanding of the world? Separation of church and state. That's how they got there. In their mind, the, the, the church, not the church, but the state, is, has the ultimate authority to determine what is morally good and right. You see, political elites are prone to believing that they are the kings and the priests intellectually and more morally superior beings, worthy of unquestioned allegiance. And that's why high-ranking government officials tend to play by their own rules. Have you noticed that? Rules for thee, but not for me. Remember, during the pandemic, they said to you, you can't have Thanksgiving dinner, you can't have family over, you can't travel, stay in your homes and wear a mask and social distance, from your own husband and wife, all the while they're planning a trip to Mexico where they're going to meet their whole family and have a big fat Thanksgiving dinner without any mask. Isn't that what we saw? Apparently, it is a federal crime to do insider trading on the stock market unless you're in Congress, and at, at that point, it's totally acceptable. Rules for thee, but not for me. History shows us that politics left unchecked develops a God complex. Jesus takes the coin, and he asks, whose image is on the coin? To which point they say, Caesar, Caesar. Okay, verse 17. Jesus told them, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. This is one of the most profound statements in all of human history. Everyone knows this verse. Very, very few people understand the significance of it. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Jesus tells them, in essence, and you're not going to like this, he tells them, pay the tax. I don't really care for that. I'm sure some of you don't really care for that. I know the people in Jesus' day really didn't care for that because Caesar is godless, and he's evil, and he's devil-worshipping, and he's oppressive, and he's a tyrant, and he's taking our tax money, and he is doing evil things with it. And so I don't think we should pay the tax. Don't you wish Jesus would have said, tell the tax man to kick rocks? That's what I wish Jesus would have said. If I could change one verse, this may be it. But Jesus says here, he says, you owe Caesar something. Give to Caesar the thing that is owed to Caesar. Jesus says, pay the tax. Why do we need to pay the tax? And here's your homework. I'm not going to do it to you, but, so you need to do this for yourself. Read Romans 13 today. I want you to read Romans 13 I'm not going to preach a three-hour sermon, but I'll give you the cliff notes. This is what you'll find in Romans 13. God establishes every government as servants to His purpose. Government, Romans 13, this is what you'll see. government wields the sword in order to protect what is good and promote or, or to punish what is evil. And so here's the truth, and this is what you know. All, every single government mismanages money and mismanages power. They all do it. And oftentimes they do it in a way that is totally contrary to our convictions. But the Bible teaches us that it honors God to pay taxes to the institutions that he has established. Jesus explains here that we are indebted to Caesar. And so it is right and good to pay taxes, the taxes that you owe, even to a corrupt government. Not to fund corruption, but to facilitate what God has ordained that government to accomplish. And so this is what I do when I write my tax check at the end of the year. Some of y'all about ready to write your tax check. This is what I do in my heart and maybe some of y'all are brave enough. I don't want to know what the IRS will do with this. Maybe on the memo, you can write this in your heart. Designate that, though, that tax money you're paying is not for abortions. It's not for unjust wars on the other side of the earth. That tax money that you're paying is to fund the government to accomplish the purpose that God has ordained government to accomplish. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And Jesus says, and to God the things that are God's. And they were utterly amazed at this statement. The tendency and temptation of government is to power grab. It's what comes naturally to them. They develop a God complex, and they say, if I just have more power, then I'd be able to fix all these problems. And so they do everything they can. There was a a king in Prussia, Frederick William I. He said this, salvation is of God, everything else is my affair. This is the mentality of people at the highest level of government. Up to this point in history, the understanding of government was what was known, a Greek, Greek words, rex, lex. Rex meaning king, lex being law. Rex, lex. King is law. What the king says, that goes. He is the ultimate authority. That was the understanding up until Jesus. Because Jesus says here, there is a limit to the power of government. Government has a sphere of influence. The church has a sphere of influence. The family has a sphere of influence, but Christ is over all. There are certain things that fall under the jurisdiction of Caesar. There are certain things that fall under the jurisdiction of the church. There are certain things that fall under the jurisdiction of the family, but all things must submit to Christ. Jesus says, whose image is on the coin? They say Caesar's. Here's the next question. Whose image is on Caesar? In the beginning, God created man in his image. Caesar may be over the whole world, but there is one who is over Caesar. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of all. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and end. He is the great I am. Not Rex Lex, but Lex Rex. God's law is over the king. Now, what are the practical implications of these truths? Number one, we are called to be good citizens. You see that all throughout the scriptures, to submit to governing authorities. That's what you'll read in Romans 13. As far as it depends on us, we should live at peace. The Bible tells us that over and over and over again. Jesus says, pay your taxes. The very first Christians in the first two centuries, they were famous for being good citizens in the Roman Empire. They were famous but if ever put in the dilemma that we must choose between obeying God and obeying the government, we must obey God rather than the government. Years after this, Peter and John were preaching Jesus in the streets of Jerusalem. The governing officials there, they hated that. And so they had Peter and John arrested and they brought them in for questioning. And, and while they were standing before him, in the same place that Jesus was held under trial, Peter and John stand before the same ruling body that had Jesus killed. And the same ruling body, the same governing officials, they demanded, stop preaching that Jesus Christ has been resurrected. Look at their response. Acts chapter 4, verse 19 and 20. Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than God, you decide, for we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. If ever the state begins to overstep their bounds and begin to infringe infringe upon your Christian convictions, it is your duty as a Christian and a citizen of this country to take a stand. In the second century, the Romans passed a law that every citizen in Rome had to burn a pinch of incense in honor of Caesar as an act of worship and a sign of allegiance to the empire. Most citizens, they had no problem with it, because like I said earlier, they already had hundreds of gods that they worshipped, and so what was one more? But to Christians of that day, this was a line that they refused to cross. This is a thing that they refused to do because this broke the law of God. And so they openly refused to burn the incense to Caesar. They were arrested, and they were beaten, and they were tortured. And right before the Romans killed them, in the worst ways you can imagine being executed, right before they were executed, they were given one last chance just to burn a pinch of incense. And time after time after time, these Christians says, we will not burn the incense because Jesus Christ is Lord, not Caesar. When the government begins to play God, It is your responsibility as an ambassador of Christ to resist, even if it costs you your life. During the pandemic, I was so disheartened at how quickly church leaders and Christians compromised their conviction in order to obey the arbitrary, tyrannical government overreach that was on display during the pandemic. When the pandemic began, the very first suggestion out of our governor's mouth as to what should shut down, the very first suggestion was not the strip club. It was not the basketball tournaments. It was not the mingo hall. The very first word out of his mouth was the church. State troopers in our state started going to churches that refused to comply and writing tickets. All the while... The bingo halls wide open, the strip clubs wide open, the liquor stores wide open, the abortion clinic is wide open. And 90% of churches just went right along with it. Closed their doors. For almost a year, many churches, even though the Bible clearly states, Do not forsake assembling together as some are in the habit of doing, but all the more get together and encourage one another as you see the difficult days approaching. Have there been many more difficult days than the pandemic days? And the church was closed. The church, a house of prayer. Did we need prayer more than we've needed during that time? The house of prayer was shut down for almost a year. Pastors in Canada were being arrested right and left because they refused to comply with the strict mandates. And Christians, self-professing Christians, I saw all over my social media respond to such news and say, good, I'm glad they were arrested. I'm glad they were arrested. They should submit to the governing, governing authorities. We refused to comply. Our church stayed open. When other churches in the the city, they closed. We we stayed open, and and we got flack for that. People left our church for that. And people said to me, it's just a church service. You can meet online. It's for public safety. I wonder, in the first century, did they say to those Christians, it's just a pinch of incense. You don't really mean it. It's for public good. When Christians prioritize safety over sanctification, When Christians put their trust in the state more than they trust in Jesus, then we have given to Caesars what rightfully belongs to God. May it never be said of us. Because, friends, if you got your eyes open, you will see that there's a beast growing. All around us, a leviathan is being raised up with slimy tentacles that's just reaching and grabbing for as much authority and influence and power as it can possibly get. If you knew the federal law code, you would be astounded. Every single day, every citizen breaks a federal law because it's this thick. They got us by the toes. You understand that? And every day they're adding to all the ways that they can bust you, all the ways that they can lord over you every single day. And one day, that beast that's growing and growing and growing, it will ask for more than a mask. It will ask for more than a vaccine. It will ask for more than you shutting shutting your church down. One day, it will ask for your complete and total submission and allegiance. And on that day, in the face of suffering, may we echo what the boys in Babylon said. King, our God is able to save us from that fiery furnace. But even if he does not, you wicked king, we will not bow to your golden statue. Jesus Christ is our king. And one day every knee will bow and every saint will rise and every rebel will be brought to justice. And between now and then, may we operate in the true meaning of the phrase separation between church and state. Thomas Jefferson wrote that phrase. He made it famous. He did so in a letter. It's nowhere found in the Constitution. He did so in a letter that was a response to a letter he received from a Baptist association in the Northeast. This Baptist association wrote to Thomas Jefferson expressing their concerns that the government was getting too involved in the, the affairs of the church. And Thomas Jefferson wrote back saying, In America, there will be a wall of separation between the church. In the state. You see, the point of that statement is not to keep the church out of the state. From day one, it's been to keep the state out of the church. Christians, it is our civic and moral duty to remind the government you have no authority in the church, you have no authority in matters of conscience. We must say no to rex lex. The king is not the law. We must demand lex rex. The law of the Lord is over the king. And may we be like Christ, who showed the proper respect of the governing authorities, but at the same time, he spoke the truth of God, showing no partiality, no matter what anybody had to say or think. The government carries the sword. Christians, church, we must carry the soul of this nation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for every sphere of authority you have placed over us. They are for our good and they are for your glory.